These are Grindstaff Publishing Audio Files. Room to Row. Chapter 5. Norway. Sleeping on an old boat is charming during the day, and even exciting at night, but once the morning comes, reality sets in and I understood why the seamen of old didn't care to live aboard a boat if they could avoid it. Our cabin was interesting because it was essentially one room which was divided into two. One side was a cramped placement of a small bunk bed with an even smaller chest of drawers to its side, while the other side of the room was a small toilet an even smaller sink, and a shower head. These two sides were separated by a plastic curtain and not much else. Ree was the first to shower, while I looked up train routes to get to our next destination and what there was to do once we were there. After he was finished, I hopped down from the top bunk onto a soggy floor. Not thinking much of it, I ducked into the shower area to find everything sopping wet. Water was dripping from the sink and toilet while the walls glistened with droplets. As fast as I could, I showered, causing more water to fly all around the small enclosure and leaking out toward the bunk beds. We left the small cabin not long after and laughed at how it felt like it had gotten steadily smaller since we first saw it the night before. We boarded our train and set off to the woody countryside, which would be our backdrop for the next six hours. By this point in the trip, Reed and I had spent an obscene amount of time together. We were companions on an endeavor with our comfort zones completely blasted apart, and we relied heavily on one another for companionship, but also for daily sanity. Because of this, we had spent every hour together, and as soon as the train began rolling, we each, silently and without a word being said, reached into our bags, pulled out our headphones, and tuned out the world. For six hours, we were in our own world, as the world moved around us. Once the train arrived at the Oslo station, I felt recharged and ready to tackle whatever the new country had to offer. It was early afternoon, and we emerged from the station onto a busy plaza with many people sitting on large steps smoking and talking and bustling in a general way. The night before, we had talked about reserving a hostel but decided not to, and chance it. We had reserved all of our hostels at least 24 hours in advance up until that point, and our expertise at traveling Europe was at an all-time high. Why not throw a bit of spontaneity into the mix? This notion came crashing down when we stood there, baggage in hand, scouring through a repertoire of hostel booking apps and websites, only to find that everything was booked. With a bit of worry, we walked to a cheap hostel only a few blocks from the train station, and after wading through a gaggle of backpackers, found their front office and were quickly told there was nothing available, and that we would have quite a difficult time finding any room at such short notice. We were back on the street not far from where we had started, but an hour later, and with night not caring about our predicament. Again, we searched all of the internet for any kind of room within our budget, but the only available rooms were fancy hotels way out of our price range. By some kind of miracle, as the skies became gray and night encroached, Reed found a cheap, slightly sketchy hotel in a questionable neighborhood that was taking lodgers. Ecstatic, we lugged our bags a couple miles through wonderfully kept streets with gorgeous buildings and expensive cars past a wreck scene where two city trams collided, crunching the front of one and the back of the other, and finally into a residential area which had seen better days when we finally reached our shady hostel. Checking in, we were beyond grateful to not have to face the alternative, and found our room, about four times the size of our boat cabin, and went in search of beer. Norway, like all of Scandinavia, has a ridiculously high tax on its alcohol, and also regulates the strength of that alcohol once the sun sets. With our standards quite low, 
We found a gas station nearby and bought whatever liquid they labeled as beer and brought it back to our room. The beer was awful, especially after the grand experience we had the night before at the Stockholm Brewery, but it didn't matter. After that kind of day, that kind of stress lying in a firm bed with a cold beer brought everything back to neutral. The night was still young and there was an inkling desire to explore the night, but we both agreed it best to turn in early and the lights went out. Morning came with blue skies and a renewed sense of wonder and energy as we quickly gathered our things and jetted out the door ready to see Oslo in the stressless joy of a new day. The streets of the city were bustling and alive with blue skies and a crispness of late autumn in the air. It was early and the vendors were only just putting their sandwich boards in the streets while starry-eyed tourists opened secure hotel doors and walked smiling into the streets ready for the day. Before long, we were walking along the marina and into a line of people waiting to board one of the many boats going out to a large group of islands which make up the archipelago branching off from mainland Norway. The map next to the ticket office had dashed lines darting in every direction from where our line stood and without much thought we chose an island, boarded a boat a few minutes later and were soon cruising swiftly along the water in the morning sun. There weren't many of us aboard the boat, so when we reached the docks of the rocky island, we dispersed on our own and walked along a trail lined with a thin smattering of trees. It felt nice to get away from the bustle of a city environment and get into nature, no matter how contained. Reed and I had spent many hours hiking along remote Oregon trails over the months we had been friends, using those wanderings as a time to talk about weird topics he and I found interesting and others didn't seem to. We talked about the brewery he dreamed of opening with his long-term girlfriend, the books I wanted to write, the forms of art we both enjoyed, and the places in the world we hoped to see before we became unable. The rugged environment of that island in Norway brought out the same topics only much more present. Our time in Europe together was coming to a close and we each felt it. As we walked through the trees, across boulders, and down to the waterline, the day's warmth pushed away any feelings of sadness. We were living that day as we had all the others, to its fullest and most complete. We were on the island for a few hours, but once our stomachs began to grow, we made our way back to the docks and set forth back to the marina of Oslo. After an unremarkable lunch, we took a city bus to a complex house in the Oslo Viking Ship Museum and were amazed at what lie within. As usual, I hadn't done any kind of research before visiting the site, so when we walked in in a fully intact Viking warship spread out in front of me, I couldn't help but smile the same kind of smile which had become commonplace amidst all the amazing sights we had seen along the trip thus far. The wood of this ship was an extremely dark brown, bordering black, with intricate carvings and markings beautifully decorating different parts of the ship. Situated away from the main ship were various Viking exhibits excavated from the same site as a main ship, and from varying sites from all over the Norwegian countryside. Each piece was carefully constructed from a craftsmanship I had not expected from my preconceived and false notion of the Vikings as murderers and pillagers who took what they needed from others and didn't have the desire to make lasting things of their own. In actuality, that myth of the Vikings is just that, a falsely held belief perpetuated by generations of misleading information. Walking out of that museum left me with an entirely different view of a group of people the Norwegians and the rest of Scandinavia look at with cultural pride. It seems the more information archaeologists gather about the Vikings, the more impressive they become. A short walk away from the Viking Ship Museum was another museum, which was a full-size replica of a Viking village. The same kind of almost black wood used for construction, the buildings were large and sturdy, built to last through the centuries and endure the frigid atmosphere of northern Europe. The complex was almost completely devoid of people as we wandered in and out of the various extremely well-constructed replicas. One was a bunkhouse, another a kitchen, one a barracks, 
all the capacity to instantly remove the outside world and transport us back to a time very long ago. We walked along the dirt road past what would have housed their livestock and after a few grassy bends came to an open field with a stave church situated in the middle. The church was quite tall and thin with the characteristic almost black wood rising in sharp triangles to the point adorned with fierce wooden gargoyles jutting out from each of the four corners making up the roof. Upon first sight, it looked to be a piece of art, and not a building once used to house actual people in times of worship. As we walked closer, the intricacy of the church all but demanded attention with its dominance making me feel the gravity of its symbolism and importance. The people who built it took great pride in their handiwork and must have felt a deep connection and duty in their work, from the larger pieces to the small, even the door was intricate and divine. We walked along the outside of the building, taking in the size and presence, and I was overwhelmed with thoughts of the many people from the past who must have visited the church, whether to engage in a kind of worship or to stand in awe at the works of the hands of mortal men acting in the aura of the divine. Rain began to drizzle over us and the few tourists surrounding the staved church, so we retraced our steps away from the church, through the village, and back to the bus stop in front of the Viking ships. Attempting to escape the rain, we ducked into a large area packed with people, with a dozen or more food and beverage vendors. Meandering through the hundreds of people, we settled on a small bar for beer and food and talked of the day's journey. Neither of us were expecting to be hit so hard by history, and I couldn't help but be impressed by Reed's ability to find such extraordinary places throughout Scandinavia. After lunch, we found our way to a brewery near the center of town. The beers were quite good, but Norway's alcohol tax made them expensive and made me worry about money and how much I'd already spent in the short time with Reed. I had saved nearly $7,000 in my time working within the Hop Farmer's Pub and was not entirely sure it would be enough to cover all the three-month endeavor I had rather hastily embarked. Reminding myself with every purchase to spend less and watching my spending, I was in a state of constant monetary dread with each passing day. Failure was defined as having to cut the three-month trip short and skulk home to live with my mom. Failure would be a knowledge that I couldn't live cheaply enough to make it the entire way. Simply put, failure just wasn't going to happen. Shaking off the anxiety, we talked of our plans for tomorrow and how to make it back to Sweden. As we were leaving, a Norwegian man at the door, the bouncer, made small talk with us and we asked him about places to see before we left the country. Without hesitation, he told us to go to the old Olympic Stadium and to see the amazing views of the city from high atop a hilltop. We thanked him and wandered through the city and back to our hostel. We hadn't realized how early it was, and feeling good from the beers and the day we had had, we set off into the night without much of an idea of where we were heading. Within minutes, we found ourselves in a large park, decently lit with a long walkway leading to an ornate fountain in the center. Lost in conversation, we walked along the path, but soon noticed the green, life-size statues lining the walkway. Each statue depicted a different version of a man or a woman. Some were dancing, some had children, others held each other tight, and some were in inhuman positions. There were dozens of them along the walk, and once we passed a fountain held up by more human statues, we came to an exhibit of mammoth proportions. In the center of a raised complex of circular steps was an obelisk of cement or stone people in a huddled, faceless mass. From that central point, there were groups of larger-than-human-sized statues depicting different stages of human life. There was one group with babies, others with males and females courting, and another with old and feeble statues in the later stages of life. Reed and I walked around the complex numerous times taking in this gigantic art installation, which we were not expecting to see, and trying to make sense of it all. We spent maybe an hour looking and talking and sitting and talking and watching, as random people would come up to the complex in the darkness and do as we were doing, 
only to leave with questioning faces. I left the complex feeling confused in the best possible way. It's not every night a person can walk out into the night, only to come across a massive art installation which unfolds into a culmination of the existence of man. When my head hit my pillow in the darkness of our room, the ambiguous faces of those statues ran through my head and I thought of that obelisk with his faceless masses crunched together jutting to the heavens. The day was finished and the next day begun, only to repeat itself on and on and on. After a night filled with thoughts of faceless statues, I woke to glorious Norwegian blue skies once again and hurried out the door in search of height. Following the instructions from our bar bouncer friend the night previous, we took a public transport train out of Oslo proper and climbed to Holmenkollen National Arena, the site of a large ski jet which had been home to ski competition since the late 19th century. Departing the train, we trekked up to the ski jump, devoid of tourists, and walked around with images of airborne Scandinavians filling our heads. The imposing ski jump was by far the most eye-catching attraction in the complex, even more than a picturesque chapel situated next to a pond, the same chapel which had been raised by death metal arsonists in 1992, but rebuilt a few years later, in a shoddy view of the city of Oslo, a far cry from the views we were promised by our bar bouncer friend. As we stood looking at the less-than-amazing view of the city, a gaggle of women on elongated roller skates and ski poles cruised by training for cross-country skiing. They didn't even seem to acknowledge us as I found myself staring in wonder at the amount of effort it must have taken to skate up and down the monstrous hills we had surmounted by rail only an hour before. Unwilling to accept the view of Oslo as a complete loss, we ducked into a thicket of trees in hopes of climbing higher for the spectacular view, but were soon greeted by a large statue of a gnome and a confirmed closure to the sites we were promised. We walked back to the train stop talking about gnomes and what we knew of them from Scraft's mythology, which turned into talks of Reed's favorite film director, Werner Herzog, and a film he made about ski jumping, which turned into talks of how he had met the acclaimed director outside a restroom. The talks turned into art and where we were going next until the train screeched to a stop and we, the only two people around, walked on board to continue talking about what we found interesting. Our bags were already packed, so when we reached the central station of Oslo in a short time, we boarded a real train and said goodbye to Norway and rode the rails east back to Sweden. Our time in Norway was short, less than 48 hours, but memorable and well worth the trip. The train sped across wild country glistening with gorgeous weather, and we both vowed to come back to the incredibly diverse landscape of Norway, of which we had seen but a slight sliver. The hands of our clocks were not to rest as Sweden beckoned again. End of chapter.